So, so we had a leadership time away this weekend, which was awesome. As Mike said, it kind of felt like a small group of people meeting together, and it felt like the beginnings of something quite new, which was awesome. Um, people we didn't know. And the motto for the, for the weekend was six congregations getting together on the Friday, and by the Sunday we all leave as one people, which I think did happen. I think a lot of hearts were knitted, and there were some times of worship, which was amazing. And what Mike said on the Friday, I really struggled to get into worship on Friday. I was tired, and I think my flesh got the better of me, because <laughs> I'm a bit introverted, and people started getting quite wild. And I, I, got, I went further and further towards the back as the night progressed. But it was really cool to see people... Um, haven't seen stuff like that in a while, where there was lots of holy laughter and uh, people just really under the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, yeah, we had some amazing teaching as well, which was awesome. And uh, I had the privilege of leading a meeting on, sun on Saturday night. Um, I was standing right at the back for most of the sessions in the daytime, and then, <laughs> and then Ross, being Ross, said, hey, Dill, I think you should lead the evening service. I was like, how hard can it be? <laughs> and uh, when, I, when I got to the front, I realized I was in a place full of leaders who were expecting to encounter God. And uh, I was like, sure, okay. This is what it means to lead a meeting with leaders meaning wanting to encounter God and encounter the Holy Spirit. And I, I prayed beforehand. I tried to find a bit of time. And... Uh, yeah, we got into worship, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying something to me, but I waited until some people shared some stuff with me as well. And uh, it was just interesting, because what I felt at that time was I, when you're in worship and it's, going, it's about to go crazy, I'm just going to share the story. I don't know if, I might not even get to my preach. I probably won't. But when you get into worship, and it says in um, Acts 2, we can put up the first Acts 2 one. It talks about when the disciples were gathered together on the day of Pentecost, and they're in this upper room, and we'll wait for that to come, and Jesus says, go and wait for me, and they wait for him, and they're together, and they're praying. So it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now that's quite exciting. And I think for many of us, we wish we could experience that. I wish I could experience that. But I, I, did, feel, uh, I did feel on Saturday night that maybe um, as charismatics, we kind of get used to and we kind of expect what God is going to do. Because as the worship gets louder and as we get more animated, we just think that's what it means, that the Holy Spirit's going to come in that way. And, uh, and He does. That's not a bad thing. He does. Sometimes worship is raucous and the Spirit is there. And it's awesome. But, uh, but on Saturday night, I felt to, to ask a room of leaders to keep quiet. And we did one song and I said, I think we need to be silent. And that was a bit interesting. And it didn't, it didn't go according to plan completely. <laughs> but we did, end up, we did end in worship. But I think the point I was trying to make for that group of people was... We, we, shouldn't have an, we, should, we have, should have an expectation of what God is going to do, but we shouldn't feel that we know how God's going to do it. I think he's a God so much bigger than ourselves, and we can put him in a box and go, well, it's just going to look like this because it looked like that on Friday night, 
So on Saturday night, it's going to be the same, and the same thing's going to happen. And God goes, no, you don't know me. <laughs> you know parts of me, and you know what's been revealed, but you don't know me completely. And uh, it was an interesting night. Haka said you had electric shocks going through her body, which was cool. Um, I didn't. I was trying to lead and hear the voice of God. <laughs> I was so focused. I was like, where am I going? Anyway, I just wanted to share that. So as a people, can we be waiting and expecting for what God wants to do? I think tonight was amazing. It was awesome. It was something different from last week. And we come again next week expecting something different again. Okay. I think God can be unpredictable. Let's not put him in a box. Okay. All right. Let me get to my preach. There's one word that strikes fear into the hearts of many Christians. Who can guess what that word is? Jeez, you guys are sharp, eh? <laughs> I thought I'd take a few guesses. Evangelism. Who here is not scared by the word evangelism? Okay, okay the majority are still a bit freaked out by it, right? Because in all my life in church, there's always been prayer meetings are well attended. Worship evenings are generally well attended and Bible studies are well attended. But call to evangelism, man, that can be like really pulling teeth. It's like, guys, we're going to go evangelize on the beachfront this morning. Yeah, and there's Jules, like, waiting for everyone. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm preaching to, I wrote this preach for myself, primarily. Because when someone says, we're going to the beachfront to evangelize, I'm like, yeah, I'm the pastor, I suppose I should be there. And I'm like, then I'm like, edging up to people, like, how's it, my name is Dylan, hi, yeah. Like, I'm not very good at it, because street evangelism can be hard, right? Can be hard. It, it, let's face it, it's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. For me, it's very uncomfortable, but I know I need to stretch myself in that sometimes. We're not all Julians, we don't all get it right, but we know that the Bible does tell us to evangelize. Okay, it's very clear. Matthew 28 is very clear. We have to be going out and sharing the gospel. So it says this, when Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you until the end of the age. So it's very clear that Matthew 28 tells us we need to go and reach the unsaved and the lost. And I think for some of us, we get the sense that it's a Christian duty, right? We kind of grit our teeth, kind of think of our best line, take a deep breath, and then we go. I, I, I think I'm like that most of the time. <laughs> and in many ways, Matthew 28 is this benchmark passage of what it is to be a Christian and evangelize and make disciples of other people. Jesus does tell us to make disciples of the nation. In fact, it's a command, and we should be doing it. Okay, do we all know that? We should be evangelizing, and we are commanded to evangelize to the lost and unsaved. Okay. So we know what we should do. We know we should evangelize. We know we need to tell people about Christ. And in some sense, we know why we should be doing it as well. And it kind of feels like a lot of the preachers I've heard about evangelism, you get the whole thing of like, when, where, 
and how. Here's five steps to evangelism. Learn the Romans road and you will lead hundreds to Christ. You guys know the Romans road. I had it memorized for a while. But if I'm dead honest, I could tell you that. I could run you through a really good way of evangelizing people. Start with this question. Do that. Ask them this question and get them thinking. And there's lots of good ways of doing that, right? There are lots of good ways of it. But guaranteed, if I do that, 99.9% of you will leave here tonight and not practice any one of those steps that I told you on Sunday evening. If you're honest, I mean, if I, if I shared with you how to evangelize effectively, would you, would you follow through on it? Keith would. Fantastic. <laughs> because I think, actually, the heart and the, the, the secret to evangelism is not a method or process. It's the heart of evangelism. It's why do we evangelize? And that's what we have to change, I think. I have to change it myself. I've found, I've heard God saying, I need, I need to change my heart and my attitude towards evangelism because there's something that I'm lacking. As a, as a Christian, as a pastor, I used to love meeting with people and having apologetics debates with them. It's wonderful. Let's talk about the universe. Yes, awesome. Fantastic. And it gets quite analytical. And I once met with a man over coffee and we talked for two hours having this wonderful debate about all the philosophers of the world. And he said to me, I so badly want to believe, tell me the gospel. And you know what? The presentation that I gave of the gospel was so clinical and dead and boring. I was like, sure, it's the gospel. There's power in the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us that. Okay, there is power in that. But for me, when I felt like I shared the story with him, I kind of just, I was almost taken by surprise, which is ridiculous, because I was supposedly evangelizing to this person. But when he asked me that question, I, there was nothing inside of me that had compassion towards him and a heart towards him. All I wanted to do actually was win the debate and try to reason him into the faith. And I realized that something in my own heart has to change. I have to challenge something in my own heart. And I feel like God is using this word compassion. Because he says this in, in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And I want to read this passage because it's a profound passage of scripture. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Tell the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. Now, how many of us know that scripture by heart? Verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. We know that, right? We've been told that over and over. Fantastic. And we know that the workers are few. And I think sometimes we can take that and go, I have to do something because the harvest is plentiful and there needs to be workers. So I need to be a worker. But if you look at verse 36 before that, what does it say? It says, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, as Jesus moves around preaching the gospel, he sees people around him that are harassed 
and helpless. And he has compassion on them. First, he is moved by compassion before he goes to his disciples and gives them their command to go out into the, into the field because the harvest is ripe. And that word compassion is interesting because it means sympathetic pity, concern for the suffering or misfortunes of others. How often do you think that if you think of the misfortune of others, you think money. Oh, they're just, they've had a lot of misfortune. I have a lot of pity towards them. But when last did you look at someone who's outside of Christ, which the Bible says is harassed and helpless, and when was your heart moved with compassion and pity towards those people? See, this, this compassion of Christ is not just an emotion. For Christ, it's a divine characteristic. And who does he have this compassion towards? Well, I've just, it just says in Scripture, the harassed and the helpless. Other translations say the worried and helpless the distressed and downcast, the harassed and the dejected. Now, these aren't people who were poor and were helpless and dejected because they were in a financial situation. These were people who were harassed and helpless because they were under the dominion of Satan. <laughs> and everyone who's not in Christ is in that place. People that you and I know, if we look at them honestly, we'd say, they are harassed and helpless, despite what their Instagram account says about them. Right. Instagram is such a lie. I do like it, though. <laughs> By that, I mean I use it. <laughs> I'm winning. And he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you've ever seen a sheep, sheep are interesting because they're pretty useless in most ways. Sheep actually aren't designed to live in nature by themselves. They're just not. I mean, I saw a picture on, uh, on Facebook of the sheep that had been missing for five years. I mean, the, no, it was hectic. The amount of wool, have you seen that video? Anyway, they catch it and they shave all the wool off. This thing is a beast. Like, it's like this big, and the hair's over its eyes, it can't see anymore, and it's just this weird-looking creature. And they get it and they help it. And Jesus sees these people like that as these sheep without a shepherd who are harassed. Interestingly, goats, on the other hand, can survive by themselves quite easily. But we're not called to be goats, right? We're called to be sheep. <clears throat> so I want you to take note of this, that Jesus says this, before he gives the command, he is moved by compassion. He says, before the commission, there is compassion. He is moved by compassion. And then he says, to, he says, then he says to his disciples, after his heart has been stirred for these people around him, then does he offer the response of evangelism, of going out, of finding the lost. And I, this passage is interesting because it, it kind of um, preempts a little bit. There's a, a parallel passage in the other Gospels where it's the commissioning of the 72. Right, We know that Jesus commissioned 72 disciples to go out. And he says they're going out like lambs among wolves. But as I read that passage, I've always just thought the 72 went out. 
And then what? But at the same time, I'm going, if those 72 went out, if they were following Jesus, then they understood the compassion and the heart that he had for the lost. And it wasn't just a project, but it was people that they were after. And I love it because as that passage goes on, it actually says the 72 returned with great joy, saying even the uh, demons are subject to your name. And this, this thing of compassion actually struck me because it, I see there's a pattern in Scripture, actually. I'll give you two examples of it. In Matthew 14, 13 to 14, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In Mark 8, 2, it says, I have compassion on these people. They have already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. And what happens then after that? He then feeds the multitude. Before Jesus healed, taught, fed, commanded his disciples, he was moved with compassion towards the people. In fact, that word compassion is not used for anyone else in the New Testament but Jesus. Interesting, huh? That was one of his characteristics. Christ's one characteristic, one of them, was compassion. And we see something of this, a foreshadowing of Christ's compassion for those people, for the helpless and the harassed. We see a foreshadowing of the gospel, of Christ coming. And we see John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever may believe. And he comes to rescue all of those people who are harassed. And he comes still now to rescue the helpless and the harassed. The difference is he was there at that point and now we are here. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he calls us to go out and share the gospel with people. As I read these things, I must be honest, as a pastor and as someone who leads a church, I have to ask myself, as, as someone who sets the tone, was I moved with compassion towards the world around me? Or have I become indifferent to the harassed and the helpless. I mean, that is a big statement to make. Have I become indifferent to the harassed and helpless? I think in many ways it's easier to show compassion to one another in the body of Christ. And we are called to do that. We're called to love one another. We also call to love those outside the body of Christ. Now, as a church, we have been reestablishing our core values, and we've been meeting on Wednesdays, which has been amazing, and we've been laying again some of the foundations of who we are as a church, and I hope to do that going forward a little bit more, because Wednesdays have been awesome. I missed this Wednesday, which I was very upset about, because Anisha made food. I was like, nah. And then Murphy's Law, I was perfect the next day. I'm like, everything was fine. I was like, this is ridiculous. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But it sounded like it was an amazing time. Like, everyone I spoke to was like, that was incredible. Like, Haka came back raving. She was like, that was so awesome. <laughs> it sounds like um, 
Yeah, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Free food could be an answer. No jokes. <laughs> then we're just turning to a kitchen. No, we don't do that. But to be, can I just, uh, I ran this past Hiker, and we're not on the same page. But anyway, <laughs> we, we, we disagree slightly. But I was, I was sitting at home in bed, and, I'm, I, was, and I, was, I wasn't feeling so good. And I was getting pictures coming through. And it looked incredible. And actually, I want to commend everyone who was there because it is a time for building as a community. It's time for, for loving one another and just being in each other's lives. And it's incredible. And I, I want to encourage that. And I, I think we're going to do it again. Definitely. We'll definitely do it again before we move into community groups and houses. I'll cook, yeah. No, I won't. <laughs> but as I looked at the pictures, I just, there was one thing that hit my mind. There was one ingredient missing. Can anyone guess what that is? Yeah, unbelievers. And that's the, that's the, I'm not trying to put a heavy on you, because actually that night was for you guys and to build us as a family. But Psalm 68, 5 says, God sets the lonely into families. And who does God use to set the lonely into families? You see, there's something of a paradigm shift where if we're meeting as a family, doing something as a family, which is good, and we're going to do a lot of that more. We're going to have a lot of fun this year, apparently, according to the prophets. <laughs> but if we're doing something as a family, where we together, is our mindset going, who can I invite into my family meal to come and meet my family? Because if I bring someone from outside my family in to meet them, then there's a good chance that they're going to hear the gospel. And if we're looking at our friends and family who are unsaved as helpless and harassed, then we're better to bring them than to a family who can love and care for them and point them to the Savior who can set them free, the good shepherd, that they will no longer be sheep that are looking or running astray, but they would be in the fold with the good shepherd. We are called as a church and as a community, along with Christ, to seek and to save the lost. We are called to the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you until the end of the age. So the question then becomes, what if, I, what if I don't feel compassion towards people around me? Because I think that's quite an honest question to ask, actually. What if I've lost any feeling towards the lost and the lonely? And there's, I think the heart of what I'm trying to convey is firstly to find the heart of Christ for those people. If Christ's heart was compassion towards them, then our heart needs to be compassion. And if we want to have the heart of compassion towards people, then we need to find Christ's heart in the Gospels. Prayer can reveal the heart of God. Studying Jesus as the person reveals the heart of God. If Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the word of God reveals 
the heart of God. And as I was writing this sermon, there's that song that goes, uh, break my heart for what breaks yours. We all know it. Mariev knows it. You know it? Okay. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Break my heart for what breaks yours. You see, this is, here's, this is my point. This is interesting. Uh, I was debating whether I should say this. <laughs> I'm not actually calling this church to a new season of evangelism. But to seriously seeking God's heart for the lost and to find the heart of compassion in the commission. Because if I, sit up, if, if I stand up here and say, you guys all need to go evangelize next week and bring people in, bring your friends because we need to grow this church and move the kingdom forward. Well, I've just told you what to do, but I haven't given you the heart of why you're doing it. So I better bring someone before Dylan notices I haven't bought anyone. Then I'm going to be in trouble because I'm the only one who hasn't bought a friend. No, what is that? It's just like your friend's going to feel like you've bought them because you're ticking a box. And hey, maybe by the providence of God they get saved. That's amazing. (laughs) But what if practically we pick a person or a few people that we know and we ask God to give us his heart for them? And not a project, just find a person. Find someone that you know, someone that you love who's outside of Christ. Maybe, it's, maybe ask God to reveal someone that you, that you don't know or bring someone across your path. But make sure that you find someone that you can actually cultivate a heart of God towards that person. For me, um, it's my father. <laughs> and that's something God has been challenging me on this week. Wow, a father trying to find a heart of compassion, a son trying to find a heart of compassion for his father who is lost and backslidden. Pray each day for that person, the family member, the co-worker who doesn't know Christ. Pray that God will so fill your heart with compassion for them that like Paul, you would be so compelled by the love of Christ that you would just want them and run after them. Paul says this, for the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Because we are convinced. And he says in a letter in verse 20 of that verse, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is really strong language. When last did you implore someone? That's not, that's not asking politely. I mean, it's, it's a nice way. It's not demanding or commanding. It's imploring someone. Be reconciled to God. In other words, find salvation and redemption in Christ. The point of evangelism is to reconcile people to God from a heart of compassion. Let me say this, uh, I love when preachers do this, they go, it's like the, the, the end, the time is very short. Some preachers will go, the time is very, 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 very short, and I don't even know what they mean by that, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, 
for God, a day is like a thousand years. So is it 10,000 years or is it like a few days? I don't know. <laughs> but the call to evangelism, actually, let me, I had that then. Let me change that. The call to compassion is real and urgent. I don't even want to use the word evangelism. The call to compassion is real and it's urgent. We as a church need to find God's heart for this fast so that we can fulfill what God has asked us to do, to be workers full of compassion, going out into the world because the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Second Peter 3.8 says this, Beloved, do not let this one thing escape your notice. With the Lord, <laughs> a day is like a thousand years. <laughs> I just said that. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And we like that part. And it goes on to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and its works will be laid bare. See, the reality that we face as Christians is while we are finding a heart of compassion and we need to find it quickly because we need to save people from hell. <laughs> I can't put it more plainly. I wish I could. It kind of just feels like that's the commission. And in order to do that, we have to find a heart of compassion towards people. So please, if there's one thing that you leave here with this evening, it's go home and cultivate compassion towards one or two people that you can bring into the kingdom of God. I'm not asking you to go and be a street evangelist. You're not, you, may, you might be the next Ray Comfort. Probably not. <laughs> I'm not. And maybe you're a talented evangelist. Maybe, maybe that's what your calling is. That's incredible. I don't want to belittle street evangelism because there's an incredible gift there. People who can walk up to people in the streets and, and find them and, and lead them to salvation is incredible. But let's be honest, 99.9% .9 of us, that is very tricky. And even friendship evangelism, which is amazing, I love it, it's a great tool, still needs to get to that point where you tell the person the truth about who Christ is. <laughs> Because just being friends with someone is not evangelizing to them. And yes, we, are, we live our lives and people see how we live. But we have to get to the point where we're sharing the truth of who Christ is with them.